at verse 10 of chapter 3. So let's pray. Lugi, would you lead us, please? Father, we thank you so. We thank you for your compassion that we've received so very many times. We thank you for the boundless love that you have for us. Your constant pursuit is such that you will not allow us to be deceived by ourselves or others, but that you desire for us to know the truth that you've spoken of and that we would live it out as well. We thank you for what we will learn and how you will make yourself known. Amen. Amen. Okay, so uh, it, just review again. Uh, we have looked from chapter 1 at the word of the Lord as it came to Jonah. We also saw the activity of the Lord in chapter 1, and again in chapter 1, the faithfulness of the Lord despite Jonah's unfaithfulness. Then we, uh, we saw that the Lord's discipline uh, and, and his restoration of Jonah from chapter 117 all the way to the end of chapter 2. Last week we spent time in chapter 2, verses 1, or we started in verse 10 of chapter 2 all the way to 3, 9. The Lord brings change through resurrection. And then today we'll start, uh, two, uh, I think it's a two-session study, the compassion of the Lord. Uh, chapter. It actually starts, I didn't change that, chapter 3, verse 10, all the way to 4, 11. So let's read verse 10. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared uh, declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And then we see in chapter 4, verse 11, Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? So we're looking at the compassion of the Lord. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh? You know, why was this such an issue for Jonah? Why did he struggle with God showing his compassion to Nineveh? I found this illustration that was interesting to me. Uh, it's uh, a true account given by a pastor from Houston named Ralph Neighbor, And he tells the story like this. Jack had been president of a large corporation, and when he got cancer, the ruthless, they ruthlessly dumped him. He went through his insurance, he used his life savings, and had practically nothing left. I visited him with one of my deacons who said, Jack, you, spend so, uh, I'm sorry, you speak so openly about the brief life you have, you have left. I wonder if you've prepared for your life after death. Jack stood up, livid with rage. You Christians, all you ever think about is what's going to happen to me after I die. If your God is so great, why doesn't he do something about the real problems of life? He went on to tell, tell us that he was leaving his wife penniless and his daughter without money for college. Then he ordered us out. Later, my deacon insisted we go back. We did. Jack... I know I offended you, he said, the deacon says. I humbly apologize. But I want you to know I've been working since then. Your first problem is where your family will live after you die. A realtor in our church has agreed to sell your house and give your wife his commission. I guarantee you that if, you're, if you'll permit us, some other men and I will make the house payments until it, it is sold. Then I've contacted the owner of an apartment house down the street. 
He's offered your wife a three-bedroom apartment plus free utilities and an $850 a month salary in return for her collecting rent and supervising plumbing and electrical repairs. The income from your house should pay for your daughter's college. I just want you to know your family will be cared for. Jack cried like a baby. He died shortly thereafter, so wrecked in pain he never accepted Christ. But he experienced God's love even while rejecting him. And his widow, touched by the caring Christians, did respond to the gospel message. Um, what I find interesting about that is I know my own tendencies. And if someone had laid into me like that, I'm done with them. And the, but this deacon insists on going back and caring for the man's family, to show compassion to them. Uh, again, knowing myself, I would think, forget it. But that's not the compassion of God. He sends Jonah to Nineveh twice, he insists. And we know that Nineveh, according to chapter 1, verse 1, uh, their wickedness has come up before me. This is a wicked city, wicked people. But God shows compassion. Should this not be true of us? Why did he do this? Why did God show compassion? Well, according to verse 10, we see... Uh, just some wording here that I think helps us understand what's going on. First of all, we see the word relent. He relented. I did a word study on this, and basically it reflects the idea of breathing deeply. And what does that mean? It's a, it describes a physical response with feelings and usually in, in sorrow or compassion or comfort. And the idea is something like this, this breathing deeply. You know, when there's something that, a task at hand or something you're trying to you know, make sure something doesn't fall apart and then it works out and you just kind of go, <sighs> that idea where we find that God is dealing with Nineveh and he sees something with them that causes him to... <sighs> when Lauren was a toddler, we lived in a, a small house at his hill that had a very steep staircase. And she was upstairs with, Lauren, with Arlene. And something happened where she got away from Arlene and she started to come down the stairs by herself. I was in the living room and she, uh, she tripped going down the stairs and she started to roll down the stairs. And it was basically a, a, almost a ladder, that's how steep this was. And she's just bouncing down the stairs, rolling down. At the bottom of the staircase was a post. I was running across the living room to try to get to her. Arlene was screaming from the top of the house, from the top, top floor. and. Before I could get to her, she slammed into the post. She hit her head on the post. 
and lay perfectly still. Not a sound, not a movement. I ran, kept running to her, and just before I touched her, she moved and started to cry. And from both Arlene and me, when we heard that cry, we both went, it's okay. And this is the idea that's coming. Turn to, with me to Isaiah chapter 40. The same idea that, that's happening here with God, when he sees what, how Nineveh responds to the message that he has Jonah give them, he relents. He, it's going to be okay. And so Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 1, the word comfort is exactly the same word as relent in Jonah. And so it reads like this, comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. So there's a, a deep breathing. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And verse 3, a voice calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. In verse 3, we find that all four of the Gospels use this verse to describe the, John the Baptist making way, making the way ready for Christ. This comfort, this, everything's going to be okay. In the context of this, we find that the way has been made ready for Christ. And I, I just, I find this really challenging, interesting, and encouraging. Because, like I said, I know myself. And I would be right there with Jonah. God, why? Why these people? But then God shows us in this, his character. This compassion that he has for mankind. And how he shows it, we see in Isaiah, through his son, Jesus Christ. Any thoughts there? Okay. Then... What was it that brought the Lord to this decision of relenting? Well, we see again in verse 10 of our passage, God saw. When God saw, he relented. In Luke 15, verse 20, we read this. So this is with regards to the, uh, the prodigal son when he's returning home. So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion. Now remember who he's showing compassion to. Remember what his son has done. And we remember the story where he's, he's watching off in the distance. He sees him coming and he felt compassion for him. And he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. 
And the picture that we have of our Heavenly Father in this story is incredible when we look at it in the context of what we're talking about. I, what did he see? God saw, and the response was compassion. The response was relenting. What did he see? I believe he saw the Ninevites' heart. Now, why would I say that? Because that's what God's looking for. In 1 Chronicles 16.9, with King Asa, he says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. So we see that this is, this is, this is our God. He is searching throughout the world, and he is looking throughout this room. He is looking at the heart. He is wanting to find those whose heart is completely his for what purpose but to support that person. Going on with that thought, Jesus, talking to the lawyer who was testing him in Luke 10, verse 27, said this, And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And again, Paul to the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, verse 37. Now, in our, some of your Bibles, you'll find that verse is in parentheses, meaning that it was not found, that verse is not found in the older manuscripts. So then why would I want to use it to back this up? I think, well, at least it's, it's telling us what the, the early church believed. Also, it could be, some have theorized that it could be that some, someone along the way knew something of the account that had not been put in, so they added it in. But also, I'm okay with it because it doesn't contradict anything in Scripture. And so, what is being said here? Philip said to the Ethiopian eunuch who wants to be baptized, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And then this, remember that Jesus knows your heart. In chapter 4 of Hebrews in verse 12, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and there is no creature hidden from his sight. See, he sees. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. I think what's going on here is God sees. He sees their heart. When Arlene and I were living in Canada, I, uh, I got a job as a framer, and uh, I had worked in construction in Louisiana uh, and with, with my dad's company, but I didn't have a lot of experience. I had just basically gotten started. We moved to Canada, and uh, the economy was booming. They needed workers, and uh, one of my friends worked for this man, Gert Lowen. <coughs> And I uh, told him, hey, I've got a friend who's got some experience in construction, needs a job. So Gert called me that night, and he says, do you have any experience with air tools? I said, yes, I do. 
He says, great, you got a job. That was it. And he says, show up tomorrow. So I showed up tomorrow, and the first thing I did was shot myself with the gun. <laughs> and so I, uh, I, I, had, I had shot my thumb. I, the nail had hit a knot and twisted up, and I had shot myself. So now I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I got the job because I know how to use air tools. What am I going to do? So I, I worked for about an hour holding my thumb like this. Finally, one of, the business, one of the, his partners came over to me and just kind of leaned over and says, did you shoot yourself? I said, yes. And he goes, go take care of it. So I, I went over, I bandaged it up, I kept working. Well, there was that. And then also, well, we, took a, we took a coffee break one time. And uh, well, it was before the coffee break. I, had, I was working in part of the, we were building some large things. And I was away from everybody else walking through the building doing something. And I accidentally kicked a thermos. It happened to be my boss's thermos. It was Gert's thermos. And I broke the, remember the old thermoses with the glass inside? Just shattered it. Oh my goodness. And, uh, and I could have easily have let it, the blame stay on his youngest son, who was there as a laborer. And I almost did. Uh, but I came clean, told him that I broke it. Uh, and then um, something different about how they built up there uh, from Louisiana when we were building, as we started to go up higher than the eight-foot wall, we'd always stand on ladders. We'd stand on a ladder to put a joist down. We'd stand on a ladder to nail top plates. We'd sit on a ladder for everything. That was pretty comfortable. I got up there and found they didn't stand on ladders. They got on top of the walls. And we were building two-and-a-half-story buildings, and they're walking on the exterior walls, just walking on a two-by-four wall, just walking around, holding things, holding joists, banging them together and all this. And... Uh, it was, everybody knew who Kelly was. He was the one that was walking like this. <laughs> and even sat and scooted some. Uh, it was, there was, uh, but here's the thing. When, the, when it was time for me to move on to something else, I got a message through the friend who had got the job for me. And he said, this is what Gerd says about Kelly. If Kelly ever needs a job, he's got it. And I sat there and just looked at him. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. I'm the one that shot myself on the first day, broke his thermos, and was the one scooting around on top of all the walls. What was, it really took me back. But what had happened was, he saw my heart, and that impacted his decision as to whether or not I could have a job if I ever needed one. This, the Lord, we saw from, from, we see from Hebrews, the Lord sees your heart. We get so caught up, don't we, on the little snapshots of life and refuse to back up and see the, the, the movie, <laughs> the whole thing. The Lord sees our heart. This, is, this has been an evil people. They respond to what is being said, and the Lord sees their heart. Any thoughts there?
that's an incredible conversion, right? And I was I was reading that earlier, the fact that he relented. And from the context, like it's something that I look at and I think that it must have actually been genuine. Hmm. Which is like for one thing for a, a believer who's just grouchy, right? Like low blood sugar, whatever. <clears throat> For us, to then, for me to come around and say, Father, no, like this is what you want me to do, and I know it. But for someone who is distant from the Lord, for them to be genuine in their repentance, because that's so often like in Isaiah talking about like the frustration that he has with just the pomp and circumstance of Israel. But for this foreign nation to be genuine about their repentance, and that it's not just like, oh, well, something's going wrong, but that they're like, no, no, this is... The Lord of hosts is the one that we have offended. Like, that's an amazing work in someone else's heart that they would yield. It's not that they can't hear the Lord, but that choice to yield is often the biggest hurdle. Mm. That, that humility. Yeah. And then, it really, it just, it's just it's comedic that you go from there to Jonah just, like, Jonah's just tossing the table. It's like, what? I, I don't believe it. And he doesn't see. He sees what he's gone through, but he doesn't recognize the enormity, uh, and, I, and I love how you explain that, the, the relentless, the Lord's relief, because I see that with my own kids sometimes, mm-hmm. that stubbornness, where you're like, just don't make this the rest of the day for me, please. <laughs> like, if it has to be, it will, but I really would prefer that we just resolve this in this next couple seconds, and that same sense for the Lord. There's, there's just a really, there's so much more contained here than just the, the brief yeah. Got a couple more? Yes. I appreciate how God gives you as a believer the opportunity to turn it around. And it convicts my, my conscience immediately. The Holy Spirit is outside force. Not what I asked you to do. That's not what you were supposed to do. And because it's influenced my joy, mm. when I don't turn around and make it right, apologize when I'm supposed to at the moment when God has the opportunity. Because you don't know when you're going to have another opportunity to and immediately the, the burden is lifted, or I don't know burden is the right word, but the joy returns when you uh, submit to how the Holy Spirit is mm. Yeah. And I appreciate growing older because of that. The older I'm getting, the more quicker I think I'm getting to be better at uh, making things right faster. <laughs> mm. Yes. Did you still have a comment? Yeah. Yes.
know your idea behind it will be borne out either, uh, especially over time. And so I, I really like this teaching because um, it, it's, it's going to the heart of the issue, which is our heart and how we act hmm. according to what we say we believe. Thank you. So with that, continuing on and building on that, how did the Lord see their heart? What does that mean? Well, if you look at the verse, how it reads, he, it says, when God saw their deeds. One man once told me this, what you think is what you, what you, think is what you do, and what you do is what you believe. What you think is what you do, and what you do is what you believe. So what did they do? Well, it says this. It says, he saw their deeds that they turned. Again, interesting word study with this. Nothing you know, that we haven't heard before, but still, it doesn't make it not interesting. And basically, this is what it's, this word's interesting in that it's the 12th most frequently used verb in the Old Testament. It appears over a thousand times. And for better, for better than any other verb, it combines itself to two requisites, two requisites of repentance. So the act of repentance, two requisites for the act, the act of repentance, is to turn from evil to good. So they turned, it says in verse 10, from their wicked way. They turned from their wicked way. They turned from their attempt to draw life from themselves to the Lord. They believed, according to verse 5. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God. And we looked at that word last week and saw that the word believe means to, it's the same like in John 3.16, to entrust, to give yourself over to. So they believed the Lord. They gave themselves over to. It reminds me of Paul, how he describes it for himself in Romans 7, verse 18. For this is, this is from, so this is, here is this, this, uh, this turning that Paul describes in his life. Turning from, so he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Now, now this is, the, the act there's two requisites for this act. So this is not the full act. Recognition that there's nothing here of profit. But then we go on in the same chapter, in verses 24 to 25, we see the second requisite. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a turning, it's an act of turning from myself to Jesus. The Ninevites are not relying on themselves, according to verses 5 to 9. They're not, you know, they hear the message, and what, is, what happens? 
there is a, there is a change in their heart. They're, they are believing God. And from this belief, there are actions that come about. The fasting, the, um, the, the king and the people with the ashes, we talked about that last week. They are acting on their belief. Turn with me to John chapter 6. So Jesus is, has been teaching, and people, the, the multitude are having issue with what he's saying about himself. And so they're starting to abandon him. He turns to his disciples in the midst of this going on where people are leaving Jesus because they cannot accept what he's telling them. He, they can't accept this message. And he says in verse 66, As a result of this, many of the disciples withdrew and went uh, and we're not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed. Same word. We have entrusted ourselves to you and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. In Colossians 2, verse 8, a verse that you've probably heard me reference a lot, says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. Now, who is he talking to here? He's talking to believers. See to it that no one takes you, Christian, captive through philosophy, empty deception, according to tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world. All of this depends on you. And so often as believers, this is where we find our dependence in ourself. We find it in our and we find it in our devotion time. Not in Christ, but in our devotion time. We find it in our uh, you know in our ability to comprehend or understand theological issues. And we find it in in what we do in and of ourselves. And that's just how the world functions. But then the verse ends like this. We are to be taken captive. See, we think our freedom in Christ is a freedom to do what I want. But we are finally free to live as we were created. Solely dependent upon the Lord be taken captive according to Christ. We are free to be His slave. And this is what we were created for. I, I believe verses 5 to 9 in our text back in Jonah, this was an act of faith. The people are living, they're acting out on faith because and why do I say that? Because this is the requirement for man in order for God to be pleased. God is relenting. God is taking a deep breath here. God is pleased. What is required for God to be pleased? Hebrews eleven six. And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe. There it is again. And trust that he is 
and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. To entrust him, to, to act with faith. Now, uh, at his hill in the summertime, uh, when, when I was full-time there, I was in charge of the high elements course. So the, the tower, 40-foot tower, and all the activities around it. One of the things we have there is called the leap of faith. <clears throat> One of the, my mom used to sit and just watch. She just loved to watch the campers go off the leap of faith because there was, you never knew what was going to happen. So what the deal is, is they, they climb up a 30-foot telephone pole, stand on top of it, and then jump off and grab a trapeze bar that's six feet away. I did it one time. That way I could tell the campers every time they asked, have you done this? I'd say, yes. <laughs> it was really interesting to watch these kids. They, they would not want to climb and jump on the leap of faith without the harness and the rope. They never, did, they never once wanted to do that. We would use those activities as ways to teach them truth of Christ and our need for Him. And so what we would do is we'd stand at the bottom of the leap of faith and I'd often look at them and say, okay, now this is what you're going to do. We're going to have you climb to the top of the pole, jump off and grab the bar. You understand that? Yeah. And then I would look at them and say, okay, go ahead. And they just look at you. <laughs> and then they, there's a nervous laugh, often a nervous laugh. <laughs> and I said, what? Hurry up. We've got other people in line. And they'd say, no. Why? I'm not going unless you put something on me. And so, you know, we would, we would, you know, take some time, put a harness on them, say, go ahead. And they still go, no, not yet. We'll tie them into the rope, and we'd hook the other end of the rope up to us and run it through all the safety systems. And then they would climb and jump. Now, there's two groups of people I have found that are really into this rock climbing, uh, uh, the high course stuff. Uh, I was uh, out in Enchanted Rock one time setting up a climbing route and this guy just showed up out of nowhere. And I looked up at him. I said, good morning. And he says, good morning. Then he said this, man, isn't this incredible? And I said, yeah. And then he went on and said, you can just feel it in the air, can't you? And I looked at him <laughs> and I said, it's a pretty incredible sight, yes and let it go. See, there's, there's a lot of people I have found that get into this rock climbing stuff that are very, very new age. And they, they try to connect with the rock. I do too, but in a completely different way. <laughs> and uh, so what they often will do, if you go to get certified to, to work on these courses, there's a lot of new age stuff that gets thrown at you. And what, they push at, what they're pushing is this, you can do this, you can do this. And then when you've done it, they go, see what you did? And so what we purposely try to do when teaching uh, these things at His Hill is to tell them, you couldn't do it, could you? you? You couldn't just climb up there and just jump off. 
miss the trapeze and fall 30 feet to the ground, could you? And they go, no. Well, then how did you do it? And they'd say, well, well, you had the harness on me and the rope, and you hung on to the other end. I said, yeah, so you did it. How? Well, I, I, I did it because of the rope. Yeah. So you did it by the power of the rope, right? Yeah. And then would say, you know what? That's just how God made you. To live in any situation, facing any obstacle in his power, in his enabling. And so by faith, you entrust yourself to him. Kind of like you, by faith, entrusted yourself to the rope. God saw their faith. And he relented. James 2.18 says this, but someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works. And I will show you my faith by my works. These things they did was by faith. They were showing their faith and God saw. Corey ten Boom said it like this, faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. Faith says, I can't. But Jesus has. And Jesus will. This is what God is looking for. And when he sees it in your heart, he relents. It's going to be okay. Any thoughts before we pray? Okay. Then let's pray. Tom, you want to lead us, please? Father, you are so good and unfathomable uh, that you would have mercy on us uh, the way you had us. Amen. Thank you all.